Amen. Uh, Easter Sunday is one of those Sundays where you hear the world over, people are pausing. They're taking a moment because it's a special Sunday. It's an interesting Sunday, much like Christmas is an interesting Sunday. More people attend church on Christmas and on Easter than any other Sunday of Mother's Day, too? Yeah. I already know that, but that's, that's a good one. They're called CME Christians. CME? CME? Yeah. Can you spell that out? Christmas. 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 Oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> it took me a second, but I got it. Thank you. <laughs> but it's one of those interesting Sundays because, number one, preachers preach to more people they've ever preached to during the year period. Right? That's not what I'm here to do today. I will be preaching, but I'm not. I'm not. I'm not in, to, in this to try to get as many ears as I can. Today I'm in it to get as many hearts as I can. Okay. So I, I was listening to a, a, a preacher who is somebody I I listened to many many times and I really respect him a lot. And his comments were often, "If I stepped on your toes today, I apologize. I missed the mark. I was aiming for your heart." And so I take that today and I steal a little bit of that because really what I want to do is I want to talk to your heart today. I want to talk. I, I, in putting this together, my heart yesterday was just like, oh, oh my gosh. I'm like, I'm so convicted by everything I'm reading and what I'm putting together. So if I share from the heart today and things get a little emotional, I'm sorry about that. But you know what? I'm not because I've been changed. And I, I find that there's a lot to what God has caused me to share to, with you today. Uh, Steve, <coughs> Steve Neff pretty much uh, preached the entire sermon, so I won't touch on most of those points. <laughs> Thank you, Steve. Appreciate it. But he actually was supposed to do the sermon today, and he said, Larry, he says, I really appreciate that when you were sharing about becoming and sermon two weeks ago, he says, can you, can you kind of expand on becoming? And I said, sure. And I'm like, how do I do that for Easter Sunday when I'm supposed to talk about Jesus and death? But it dawned on me very quickly that uh, that if I say what I'm about to say, I'm going to give it all away. So let's just go to scripture, okay? All right. All right. Here we go. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 5.17. Actually, 5.16. We'll read 16 and 17. As soon as you get there, raise your hand. Would you read that for us, please? <laughs> this is a participation Sunday. Too. 16? Uh, 16 and 17. Okay. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. Amen. The new is here. There's an exclamation point on the end of that. If the writer was saying this instead of writing it, would he be jumping up and down saying, the new is here? Or would he be saying, hey, the new's here. Mm. I hate to say it because I've done this time and time again. But when I read the Bible, I read the Bible as if I'm reading a book. And it's just kind of going over and passing some of these exclamation points. There's an exclamation point for a reason. There's a reason for celebration here, right? Well, let me talk about becoming. And this scripture is really key and pivotal because in another version, the New King James Version, that version says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Okay, is that worth an exclamation point? Yeah. Old things have passed away. Behold. I like behold because it's like the superhero behold. It's like, behold! <laughs> I am here. Same thing. 
I don't wear a cape. I just, I'm a dad. So sometimes dads are the biggest superheroes for their sons and daughters, right? And if I were to walk in a room every time I walked in the room for my son and said, Behold! <laughs> I'd be like, you are just crazy, dad. <laughs> right? But behold. All things have become new. So when I talk about becoming today, what do you think this scripture is saying? You've arrived? Hey, by the way, Jesus is Lord. Let's get baptized. Okay, great. Done everything the Bible says I, I need to do to arrive. What have I become? Have I become exactly what God intended me to become? Am I there in that moment? Have I arrived? What is it God wants us to become? That's the big question. And when you feel you've arrived, ask yourself that question again. What does God want me to become? Where am I in my journey? I I gotta say, Brenda, I appreciate your sharing. I, I've been there. I know that. What if this? What if? What if? What if none of this is for for anything? And I just, God, I'm ready. Just come pick me up. Stop the world. Let me get up. I know that feeling. But have I lost the focus on what I'm supposed to become because the world weighs me down? Yeah, it does. The world can weigh you down. And once you're weighed down, you can collapse. Once you collapse, the world can kick you in the teeth. hope in becoming. There's real hope in becoming. Because you may not see it yet, and it may not be evident to you, but God's got a plan that you'll become something. While we don't know that plan, there is a plan. And I like to think that it's evident in the Bible, but it's also not so evident because we each have a plan specifically designed for us. Why? Because God knows the number of hairs on, on your head. God knows how easily he can dig in and say, I know the number of hairs on your head. I know the number of freckles you have. I know the number of doubts. I know the number of fears. I know how many breaths you took yesterday. I know how many breaths you've taken since the day you were born. Because I'm paying attention to you. This is what I love about our God. He pays attention to each and every single one of us. Individually. So God has a plan for you becoming. All things are become new. So what sort of things might we become? Let's go to 2 Corinthians. Let's go to 5.21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
In one translation it says, we might live a right life. Now everybody's got an opinion about what the right life is, but whose opinion matters most? Is it yours? Is it your neighbor's? You worried about what they're thinking? I do. I'm one of those people who thinks, man, if only they knew or they thought about me in this way, I might have to adjust myself. Because I'm too worried about what the world thinks about me. There's no shame in being real, right? I hope I can be real with you today. Okay? You know, we look to Scripture for the example of the Christ to know exactly what becoming looks like. I mean, the Bible is, is virtually a blueprint for what becoming can look like. How often do we open the Bible? In whatever form it is. It could be online, it could be on a phone, it could be in paper and print. How often are we looking at that blueprint? Are you becoming what you want to be or are you becoming what the Bible says we should be? i got all these scriptures popping into mind right now, but I'm just going to stick to my course, but I could go off on a tangent. Not because I'm angry or anything like that, but because I'm being convicted. Every time I open my mouth, I'm being convicted by how often I know I fall short. And I keep doing this, and I keep doing this. I just realized that. All right. Let's go to Matthew 18.3. Matthew 18.3 What does Jesus ask us to become? Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Becoming is really about changing. Becoming is about changing. Changing what? My character, my habits, the way I speak. The way I view the world, the way I view the world views me, that whole change of perspective is about changing the core, really, of who I am, Mm -hmm. so that I can be in line with that right relationship with God. And I struggle with that. Oh my gosh, I struggle with that because so often I just want to come home after work, eat a meal, sit down, go to bed, get up the next day, go to work again. not really happy with that, though. How many of you are happy with the grind and routine of your daily week, of your week and your day? How many are completely happy with how things go on a daily basis? Yeah. <laughs> completely. <laughs> not completely. 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 Okay. It's a loaded question. I get it. But think about it. If our life simply consists of us existing for the sake of working, for the sake of sleeping, to get up to work the next day, what sort of value is that? Whose life has changed because of that? So in our becoming, which plan do you want? Do you want God's plan? Or do you want the plan that puts you in your routine and allows you to just kind of go about each day? 
And I take joy from a lot of things in every day. Don't give it on. I'm not trying to paint a big picture just for the sake of the sermon. But if you really look at what makes you truly happy, what brings you joy, and what provides contentment, what plan do you really like here? And what will you become? favorite scripture is uh, Hebrews 12:11 says no discipline seems pleasant at the time but painful later on however it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it there's a piece in that that I I won't say is missing but there's a piece in that that I find I missed the many times I read it over I'm not always willing to be trained by it I could discipline my son who's 13 and is having a really fun time messing with dad right now. <laughs> and, and he pushes the buttons and I work with him. I, I have to shift my position a little. But I have to become something so that he can become something. In a father-son relationship, that can be really challenging because as a dad, I should stand my ground. I know it's right. I know everything that he needs in this very moment. Not really. <laughs> but a lot of men will stand there and think that. Like, you just need to obey. Period. And when you obey, life will be good for you. Is it about my love for him or is it about my pride? It can go so wrong so fast if it's about my pride, right? And I've taken a lot of time to think about my relationship to my son and how that relationship correlates to God and Jesus and to God and me. And your dad, it starts to sink in, finally. You know, if you're not a dad, it can still sink in because you have a dad. If you're a woman, you got a dad. Right? There's still that relationship there. There's mistakes that were made. My next term will be mistakes were made. <laughs> but when I think about every time that I've had a chance to just stand over my son and go, you're just going to do it because I told you to do it, I stop. And I think about God's plan for me. It's really fast. It's a quick thought. It's like two seconds, maybe a nanosecond, somewhere in between there. And I'm like, I can't just lean on him and expect him to obey. I can't just lean on him and say, this is the way it is. Because unless I'm demonstrating that life, he can easily turn around and say, well, I learned it by watching you. Okay, step over this side of the cross, and we say, what was Jesus for us? God in flesh, right? And we can look at him and go, well, I should be looking at it because I watched you do it. It's so hard because it goes against our human nature. My son doesn't obey me because it goes against his nature. He wants freedom. He wants independence. He wants to be who he wants to be. Are we any different? And by that plan, what are we becoming? What are we becoming? Steve. 
Can you read me Psalm 118, 22? Psalm 118, 22. Yep. That's right. <coughs> the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this. You want me to keep going? Or? No, that's fine. It's about the becoming, right? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone or the capstone. Yeah. Um, who here knows architecture? Yeah. I was an architect student for two years, so I'm going to raise my hand and keep it up. Okay. Who here has built a house? Where's she at? Two houses. Two houses. Okay. And a chicken coop. And a chicken coop? Yeah. Does Whoa. that have a cornerstone? I'll leave that out of exactly. Okay. <laughs> in, in the days of building a home with stone, you had a cornerstone. Why did you have a cornerstone? Does anybody know why you had a cornerstone? Reference point, right? Say That's where you stop. That's where you stop. That's where you land. Yeah. Where you will go later. Right. Yeah. The other thing about a cornerstone is it had to be perfect in all dimensions. Everything about what you were going to build was based on that cornerstone. So if your cornerstone was off, what would happen to this house? Yeah. You'd have a trapezoid. <laughs> you wouldn't have a house. We just call it a trapezoid. Say geometry. But if you were off by a centimeter on the cornerstone, you might be off by feet, a hundred feet. So when the Bible says Jesus became a cornerstone, was Jesus perfect from the moment of birth? That's for philosophers to discuss. I'm not going to discuss that here or try to debate that. But I will say this. Jesus became perfection so that we might be able to know what that looks like. Does that sound right? Am I trying to pull out Jesus' resume and impress it upon you? Absolutely. Because there's a reason why we sit here in a chair on a Sunday for church and say, Jesus is Lord. Or we say, I'm here because Jesus loves me. I'm here because I feel an affinity with my God. Why is that? What instigates that? It's because you're becoming. You're becoming something different than you were last year. And the year before that, the year before that, you're becoming something greater than you ever thought was possible. And God believes that in you. He knows that about you. He's excited to see that growth. Let's go to Romans 1 20. He says, For since the creation of God of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse.
So if since the beginning of, of time immemorial, since the beginning of creation, God has created the world in such a way that we can't have an excuse to miss him. Are we seeing him? Do we really get a good vision of who God is by keeping our Bibles closed? Do we get a good vision of who God is by listening to a good sermon on YouTube or even today? I'm not saying this is a good sermon, but I'm just saying what sort of vision of God are you capturing? I know that I fall short on a daily basis. I fall short of every single thing that God probably has in mind for me simply by not getting up and doing something about the condition of my neighbor. You know, we've been talking a lot this year about loving your neighbor. Right? When's the last time I made an effort to love my neighbor in some way? I have a friend of mine. Uh, he uh, he has about 40, 40 chickens. And I get about three dozen eggs a week from him. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Those are some <coughs> egg-laying ladies, right? And I'm, and I'm incredibly grateful. And I'm like, right, thank you so much. I appreciate that so much. He doesn't ask for anything in return, but every time I hand him a 20, he's like, thank you. It's kind of nice to repay the gratitude in a sense, or repay in a way that you show your gratitude. <laughs> and I know for him it matters. He's not a man with a lot of money, but he still will, would give me eggs if I never gave him a penny. He's just generous. He's loving his neighbor. And he lives six towns away. <laughs> but then I take three dozen eggs, which I'm never going to eat in a week, because I know three dozen are coming next week, too. <laughs> That's a lot of eggs. Good protein. So I take two dozen, and I go to my other neighbors. I'm like, hey, my friend Ray, he's such a great guy. He's so generous. And when he can't eat the overabundance of eggs that his chickens are laying, he gives me about three dozen. So because I've been blessed, I want to bless you too. And I'll give my neighbors a dozen eggs. And then I'll go to the next neighbor, I'll give them a dozen eggs. I kind of pepper it around the neighborhood. Am I loving my neighbor? I'm also getting rid of eggs that I would never eat. <laughs> Shame to let them go to waste. Right? But then, then, I'm opening these doors to my neighbors, right? I mean, then, then what do I get to do? Do I get to invite them to my dinner table? I do. Because they're open to it. Right? Who here, if you said, hey, I just want to find some way to show you appreciation and love today, what would that be? I came and knocked on your door and just said that? That would be a weird question. But would you respond? Would you take the moment to say, wow, you know, uh, having a hard time. Uh, my husband's away on a work <coughs> trip and my son has been screaming and crying for about two hours. I don't know what to do. Usually for me, what I'll do is I'll say, let me go get my wife. <laughs> my wife is immediately with children she knows how to distract a child like nobody and I'm just like whenever my son was screaming and crying I'm like what do I do she goes distract him like this and she would distract him and all of a sudden he'd stop whining and crying and screaming I'm like, wow that's amazing I gotta learn that one I never did 
References. If you got a notepad and you want to write them down, so be it. I have about 12 references of scripture here. I'm just going to go through them real fast here. Matthew 2, 1 through 11 is the story of Jesus being born. And in that section of scripture, Jesus is born and magi come and visit him. And what do they do? They give him, they give him gifts and worship him. He's an infant. How many people knew that Jesus was born, people should be flocking to him and worshiping him. What was Jesus becoming? Anybody? What was Jesus becoming in that moment? Think about it. Matthew 5. Jesus gives a sermon on the mount. He talks about the Beatitudes. Why do we call them Beatitudes, anybody? Why do we call them Beatitudes? Well, if the word becoming has the word be in it, and Jesus is teaching about the be attitudes. Christianity was all about the things we can't be doing. Yeah. Don't do this. Don't do that. You can't do that. Absolutely not that. Right? Christianity was boring. I didn't want to have anything to do with that. Forget about that. Obviously, I changed my mind because I'm standing here, right? But if Jesus is teaching about the Beatitudes, what's that say about his belief in us? What does he believe? Matthew 5. Go through the Beatitudes and see how much of those you become. Matthew 8. Jesus is approached by the centurion. And the centurion has gone on a trip to meet with Jesus. And he says, my servant is sick. Now how many of you watch the show The Chosen? This This is one of the scenes that I love because there's a centurion who is opposed to the Jews there's going to be some kind of insurrection because of Jesus' appearance. And he's got a servant who's actually a friend to his son and has become almost like a son to him. In fact, a little creative artistry, apparently the servant is his son too. Okay. But the centurion goes to Jesus and says, my servant is sick. But I know you can heal him. Just say the word and it will be. And then Jesus says, I've never seen such faith. 
He says it aloud. It's recorded in the Bible because it was overheard, right? If it's not in the Bible, nobody overheard it. <clears throat> Remember that. Everything you see in the Bible was heard by somebody to record it. <clears throat> in this case, Matthew. Jesus says, <clears throat> because of your faith, your servant is healed. And the servant was healed that very hour. So when the centurion returned home, was the servant out of bed, standing on two feet, greeting him? Maybe. I like to think that's what happened. He wrapped his arms around him and gave him a big hug. <clears throat> we know about that story either because the centurion retold it or because Matthew was standing right next to Jesus when he said it. Matthew 15, Jesus is tested by the Pharisees. They're always trying to trap him. Asking tricky questions, setting up scenarios, trying to put Jesus in a position to have the opportunity to slip up. What does Jesus do with the Pharisees? What was his response to the Pharisees usually? question back. That's not fair. You can't answer a question with a question. Jesus says, I don't play by those rules. <laughs> but Jesus will oftentimes reference something that he knows that since birth or childhood that they had learned about. And he does certain things. And usually the oldest of the Pharisees walk away first because they know what he's doing. And the younger ones with all their pride are like, we can't do that. But in fact, Jesus does that. And he turns it over on its head. What was Jesus becoming? <clears throat> In Matthew 26, Jesus is anointed with, with perfume from, we don't know who this woman is. She, um, Simon the leper has asked Jesus to come have dinner, and the woman comes in and has a very, very expensive bottle of perfume and pours it over Jesus' head. Jesus is anointed. You know, a lot of people make reference to say kings were anointed by having perfumes and oils poured all over them. Like, that's how you anointed a king. But is that what Jesus was becoming? What was Jesus becoming? Matthew 27, 33. They come to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. We know this is after... Uh, actually, I took that out of, out of order here. Sorry about that. Jesus shares the Passover with his disciples. And he very directly addresses Judah. What was Jesus becoming here? Matthew 26, 47, Jesus be, Judas betrays Jesus with a kiss in the garden. Did Jesus fight back? Knowing exactly what was going on? What was Jesus doing? <coughs> Matthew 27, 11, Jesus stands before Pilate. An innocent man stands before Pilate and the Jews demand that Barabbas be freed and not Jesus. What was Jesus becoming here? Matthew 27-33 Jesus is crucified at Golgotha. He's crucified. He's on a cross. What is Jesus still becoming? Matthew 27, 45 through the remainder. Jesus dies on the cross. He's buried. 
Pharisees continue to plot to prevent his resurrection or to prevent his disciples from claiming he was resurrected? I'm not going to ask what Jesus was becoming in this moment. Has he died? It's my belief Jesus arrived. And if Jesus arrives the moment he dies, what does that mean for you and for me and for the world around us? Because the implication isn't that <coughs> Jesus came and Christianity was born. That is not the implication here. The implication is the world, every human being now has a chance. If we were created for the sake of God's pleasure, and if we were made because God said, I just want to have a relationship with you, you bring me joy. You bring me hope. You bring me everything I had possibly hoped for in a creation. And you fulfill everything on my checklist. But I just need you to become something. And I'm not going to name what that is. I'm not going to give you the freebie to the test today. It's not happening. This is, not a, this is an open book quest, uh, quiz. You can go to your you can go to your Bibles. It's open book. But the true answer lies in what you will end up becoming. Easter Sunday is an amazing Sunday because we understand that there is a power that was able to give Jesus life after he was dead. And he was verified to be dead. There was no question or doubt about it. Like he was crucified on a cross and they drove a spear into his side. And when blood and water flow out, that's the sign that the pericardium around the heart. I get into the science of it all. Actually, I think Brenda might know the best. And Carolyn, too. Carolyn's a nurse. Margaret, or Mar Margaret, Margaret's a doctor. We have people who can tell you what that's all about, so ask them if you want. But Jesus was verified to be dead. Why? Why did he do all that? Why did he become everything to all men? loved us because God loved us. Do you think the greatest command and the one that's like it is exclusive to us humans because Jesus spoke it? No, it's because he lived it. So if he says love your neighbor as yourself and that is part of our work of becoming righteous to living in that right relationship with God, what should we become? should you become? Spend some time this week. What should I become? I can't hate my neighbor. Shouldn't hold a grudge. And if I do, maybe I should talk to them about it. I know my neighbor and I, to my right on our side of the street, um, I clipped a vine that was crawling all over these trees. So I was like, this thing is going to suffocate these trees. I don't, I don't want this vine here. Come to find out, they planted it. <laughs> they wanted to feed the birds. Aww. This grapevine. They wanted to feed the birds, and the birds would come and nest in the trees and all that, and they loved it, and they can't do that anymore because I clipped their vine. 
So I went and talked to him. I said, I, I was cleaning up along the edge and I was clipping and I was, I was really very specifically looking to get rid of some of the extra brush amongst the trees. And I clipped this box. So I'm really sorry. I'm happy to replace it for you, replant it, whatever you want to do. And instead of the vitriol that neighbors can have with each other, how many people have seen these videos where a neighbor is like, yeah. they're videoing because their neighbor has got some kind of beef with them and it's just a battle of whose fence is on which inch of land and all that? Okay. I can't stand that. I can't stand that because honestly, when you're when you're trying to love your neighbor, are you trying to put walls? So when I talk about becoming today, I hope you understand that it's we can become something that Jesus modeled for us. Jesus said, you can become, and I believe in you. I've shown you the example of what that's like. And this becoming is greater than anything that you felt or thought or had a plan to become. So, I hope as you as you spend the time this week to think on that, that you'll also just understand and feel God's intense love for you because Jesus rose from the dead. That was all part of the plan. Because it was part of the plan, we don't have to worry about planning it ourselves. That's good because I, yeah, I probably screwed that plan up personally. But, but I love that plan because God is perfect in every way and he knew the perfect plan for each and every single one of us. And he has great belief in each and every single one of us as well. So, amen. 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 amen.